This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We did it. We made it through a week of twists and turns and stories like these. Critics of the Safety Act are launching a new attack on the law. The Chicago Sun-Times has now dropped its paywall. Controversies in the classroom are spilling over onto the campaign trail. Governor J.B. Pritzker and his Republican challenger, Darren Bailey, are squaring off over the future of education in Illinois. The way governor's debate starts now. It's time for our weekly news recap, and here to dive into the week's top local stories is Chicago Sun-Times Washington Bureau Chief Lynn Sweet. Great to see you again. Thanks for having me. Also here, Monica Ng, Axios Chicago reporter. Hi, Monica. Hey, Sasha. Good to meet you in person. Yes. <laughs> and we've got David Grising, president of the Better Government Association. Welcome back, David. Hello, Sasha. Remember, you can watch us break down the week's news live on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube. Let's say hi. <laughs> All right, we're going to start with statewide news, first of all. With the election just less than five weeks away, the two candidates in the governor's race, they faced off in their first TV debate last night. Did you guys watch? Indeed. Indeed you did. What I about was you, hosting Monica? an event, but I, I read all the recaps. <laughs> all right, well, let's listen to a little bit of that debate. Governor Pritzker's obviously lying about everything that he just said. It's just a lie what Darren Bailey is saying. Um, he's saying we're defunding. He's the one who voted against uh, funding for our state police. J.B. Pritzker has absolutely failed the people of the state of Illinois. Well, over and over again, you've heard Darren Bailey lie just for the last 10 minutes of this debate. <laughs> oh, boy. So a little bit of a theme there, I'd say. So each of them is pointing the, painting the other one as a liar. How do you think that they did, Lynn? So first of all, my compliments to the moderators of the debate. They uh, had wonderful context and charts explaining the issue when they turned to it, and I think that's important. So I think even with the clashing there, it was a productive debate in getting to see it, uh, the people and uh, the charges, countercharges, and all that. Uh, if we take away that, you did learn about what people did not want to answer is as telling as what they did, especially mm-hmm. in an issue, let's just take one, on uh, assault weapons. What we heard and didn't hear from both of them, and we could get into it later if you want, spoke volumes. Yeah, go ahead now. So here's the point, uh, and it was asked in the context of the Highland Park Massacre, and Governor Pritzker said afterwards we need a statewide assault weapon ban, and he even suggested that the legislature might work on it this uh, summer, which never happened. And he appointed a task force. Well, Bailey then said correctly, you're the governor, nothing happened. And then the all of a sudden the legislative process, like, I'm not the legislature. They do their thing. Mm-hmm. I only urge them, which is not really it, – it was cam, it was rhetorical camouflage. And it didn't get done because the bottom line is the Democrats didn't want to vote before the election. And so they're studying it. Now, for his part, Darren Bailey totally evaded the question of an assault weapon ban. And he talked about mental health. And here's the thing. When you talk about the complexity of what to do with uh, mass shootings, Mm -hmm. one element is mental health. Another is the availability of the weapon. When it comes down to the day of the massacre, if the shooter doesn't have a weapon, then uh, it doesn't happen, no matter the mental health. Yeah. And Bailey totally avoided and evaded that. And votes are really binary. In the yeah. end, if it comes to the floor, 
yes or no. If you're a governor, will you sign it or not? Yeah. And one thing that struck me is, Adeline, you mentioned this, is that they both talked about the legislature as sort of being all-powerful. Even Pritzker, who has yeah. a supermajority in both houses, and he's the leader of the party, uh, both made it sound like they can't get things done. Darn, yeah. Or that they have no veto power. I mean, why didn't someone right. say, well, if it hits your desk, would you veto it? Yeah. Right. Right. So there were, I, I think the, um, so I think in that one exchange, it was instructive that it didn't get done this summer, but will it get done now seems would have been my follow-up question. Like I understand we, the reality of not wanting to vote before the election, that follow-up would have been, and I, I don't know all the rules of the debate when I saw it because they vaulted to yeah. uh, Bailey next, would have been. So in the veto session, what do you want to have happen? Right. Are you talking to Senate Leader Harmon? Are you talking to House Leader Welch? Are you talking to Representative Bob Morgan, who's leading the task force? What's the deal? And and uh, you do have some sway here. And then to Bailey, so... You, if you were to be governor, it is likely with a Democratic House and Senate, if it went to your desk, would you sign it or not? <laughs> yeah. And do you really think that the Foyd card law needs to be removed, given that Foyd, even as it is today, was too weak to stop the Highland Park shooter? Yeah. Right. Well, well, let's stick with the governor's race for a, little, a moment longer. A private school that was started by Darren Bailey and his wife in 2016. It's coming under more scrutiny. Let's hear a little bit of what WGN's Tamon Bradley asked about last night. Senator Bailey, your school, Full Armor Christian Academy, has a sign on its doors warning people that staff are heavily armed and any attempt to harm children will be met with deadly force. Senator, do you want to arm all Illinois teachers? 30 seconds, please. Well, first and foremost, my school's, that school's not political and I'm not dragging it into this campaign. Secondly, that would be up to the General Assembly of whether or not they would want to uh, support such a measure. All right, David, what do we know about this school? Well, the school uses a curriculum that is published by Bob Jones University that in the past has uh, defended um, uh, slave owning, defended the Ku Klux Klan, spoke positively about the Ku Klux Klan. They have moderated their texts somewhat, but nevertheless, there is still um, uh, leading questions about what are the strengths of the three-fifths compromise in the Constitution, which treated black people as if they were three-fifths of a human being mm -hmm. uh, in counting them, uh, enslaved people, et cetera. So it's clear that the curriculum is ultra-conservative. Uh, that's the sort of people who are going to go to that school. Um, and it uh, it just sort of bespeaks sort of, since it is a, a school run by or, or controlled by Darren Bailey and his wife, it speaks to what their fundamental yeah. beliefs are about some of the social and and historical issues, especially critical race theory, is going to go nowhere near that school. Uh, and that also bespeaks sort of what Darren Bailey would see yeah. possibly statewide. May, may I add one other thing? Sure. So that school is the subject of an ad by uh, Governor Pritzker. That documents everything that was said in the debate. And I think as an ad goes, it is effective in, in in making an argument that this is what Bailey, when given, you know, this is what he did. And that's all we're kind of looking for in some yeah. of these discussions and even analysis of the ads. And in the asking of the question, I think uh, when he says, I don't want that to be political, I just want to point out in an election, <laughs> you don't get to pick and choose. Right. You know, the school I have with a very 
uh, with a very defined curriculum is off. The curriculum is about as political as one can get. So to say to keep this school out of politics is just sort of disingenuous. Well, Monica, I want to pivot to something else that came up a lot this election. Last night, the uh, as well, the, the crime reform bill known as the Safety Act, right? You've been looking into one of the more controversial elements of it, and that's the cash bail piece, the elimination of cash bail. What have you found out? Well, I found out it's pretty divisive um, to the Pretrial Fairness Act that goes into effect in January would eliminate cash bail in favor of pretrial detention hearings where a judge has to hear the prosecutor and the defense say, here's why my client should be free while they await trial or shouldn't be free. And it's um, some people, you know, it's been it's been defined as the purge It's going to let, you know, all these criminals out on the street. Well, you know, supporters say, no, this will be a transparent process where a judge has to say, here is why I agree with the prosecutor Mm -hmm. that this person has to stay based on X, Y, Z or not. And um, in the past, there's no law that's exactly the same, but New Jersey's laws is is very similar. In the past, that has kept more people in jail who've committed, who are charged with serious crimes and fewer who are charged with lesser crimes. Um, Clearly, Governor Jimmy Pritzker feels like that's going to be the outcome here in Illinois, where he says, you know, this is going to keep rapists and murderers and domestic abusers in jail. But, you know, let the, the mom who shoplifted diapers and, um, and formula, you know, go home and take care of her child. Yeah. When, when we quoted that, one person wrote to me saying, well, you know, she'd have to shoplift $300 or more for that to be considered a felony. And, and you can parse words on this, but... The data does show, does indicate that this will have that effect. How it really pans out in January, it's unclear. Oh, my goodness. Do you think we'll continue to see calls for changes to this law? I think we will. And I think that um, both Kwame Raoul, uh, Attorney General, and the governor have said, look, we expect changes. In the veto session, we're going to be making amendments to this. It's not a perfect law. It's 760-something pages. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and they're open to it. But I've talked to some state's attorneys who are like, Eh, you know, just making changes is like putting a new heart in a corpse. You know, so some people aren't open to tweaks. Yeah. Others are. It was a little surprising last night that Governor Prisker, when given a chance, didn't say, here's what could be changed. For example, the flight risk ruling, which basically the judges would not be allowed to take into consideration a, a defendant's prior history of flight. Only non-appearance an, an immediate intent, intent to flee if released. And that's universally yeah. agreed. Probably that needs to be adjusted. And it was disappointing that Governor Pritzker last night wasn't prepared to say, here's one or two things that perhaps could be changed. If I may add, though, as we look into the politics of the Safety Act, I think it is so unknown to voters. It is a it is a new it is something new that it's very easy to demagogue and misrepresent because it hasn't happened yet. And I think we're, uh, in the weeks to come, even though we're speaking as early voting has started, I would not be surprised to see more and more a reference to it because the Safety Act now is also shorthand for the Republican accusation that Democrats are soft on crime. Mm. And I think that's the code. Now, it's not even a code. It, it's just that's what it means. So the the nuances and the changes, the tweaks will be lost in the conversation. Yeah. I want to turn to gun violence. Uh, tragically, two young children were among the latest victims last weekend. A three-year-old who died in a road rage incident, 
uh, a seven-year-old who was wounded on his way to church. That weekend, violence left actually 34 people shot, five fatally. Then there was a shooting inside the 10th District Police Station on Ogden Avenue Wednesday, which follows another recent shooting inside a Westside Police Station. What happened at the 10th District Station, Monica? Well, it appears someone walked in. They uh, had a, uh, a gun, allegedly had a gun in a plastic bag, and, um, and allegedly made threats um, and said they were going to shoot. Um, uh, police officers shot that person. We're told non-fatally that it's not serious. Um, and again, when we report these things, we have to say the police said. Um, but it's you know I I don't I haven't been in a police station recently, but I have been in Chicago public schools. All our kids went there, and and you have to go through metal detectors. I, do they not have those at the doors of? Police I mean, stations? I haven't been to one lately, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but good question. Um, is uh, Superintendent Brown saying that he's going to increase security at yeah, police stations? Yeah. So he said he's looking at other things. He said some police stations have higher desks or glass at the front, and these are things that they're thinking of. But um, but yeah, I mean, this being the second one um, in in a week, right? It's like, okay, why are people targeting police stations? Why isn't there better safety there? And what will the superintendent do? Yeah. Lynn, I want to turn to another very different story. The Sun-Times had a big announcement yesterday. The paper's content's now going to be free to read online. What are you hearing in the newsroom? We're excited. This is all part, so our listeners know this is part of our new partnership with WBEZ. It's part of Chicago Public Media. And now that we are a nonprofit, we are switching to a member model. And if you go to suntimes.com slash member, you can become a founding member of the Chicago Sun-Times, and you will get all the instructions you need on uh, how to uh, sign up for that, and we appreciate your support. <laughs> because part of being a nonprofit is making our material free and accessible to everybody. And the big thing you get, by the way, when you become a Sun-Times member, you get access to our e-edition, which is an uh, online replica of the print paper. Mm-hmm. And that is a very cool thing. Like, like a PDF? It's a PDF, oh. yes. Uh, I'm based in Washington. It's the first thing I read every day is the is to see the online version of the yeah. print paper because it gives you a, a feel for it. So that's a very big perk you get in being a member. But do now, we get more, dinner with you, Lynn? <laughs> well, actually, uh, to everyone who's listening. No, it's a trip. <laughs> no, to everyone who's listening, I'm happy. I'm all in on this. So if anyone wants to be uh, a member who's listening and you want to have coffee with me, my offer is out there. I'll meet you. I'm serious. Amazing. There's going to be a line will, out the door by the time we get out of the studio. I'll be happy yeah. to do it. My email is lsweet at suntimes.com. I love it. I love I'll it. do anything to help the cause. But everybody is optimistic. We had a great first day. Uh, more than 500 people became members. Uh, there is a, a big push. As you know, we have a thriving, independent, nonprofit journalism community in Chicago. We are, in a sense, blessed with so many publications yeah. and journalism outlets. And well, we, we stand in a, in a big community with lots of choices, and we're asking people, to support all the journalism in Chicago. Well, speaking of all the publications, I'm, I'm thinking of David because you've spent decades working at you know Chicago newspapers, including the Sun Times. How big of a deal is this to you? 
Oh, it's really exciting. It, it's uh, it's great to have that great content available without a paywall. And we're seeing more and more the cooperation between the newsrooms, the Sun-Times and WBEZ newsroom. Education pr- coverage in particular, they've come out with some great in-depth reporting uh, that's taking up pages and pages of the Sun-Times print edition. Uh, it's really, really good stuff. And especially when we were talking earlier about the Safety Act, and there's these fake newspapers out there that are attacking. Are they still the out there? Sa- they are still out there, unfortunately. And they're attacking the Safety Act and and other uh, uh, kind of dog whistle topics in Illinois politics. And to have a strong newsroom at the Sun-Times and here at WBZ, that our government association, my organization, is doing factual reporting that you can trust is just so important. It's going to be interesting to see how much pressure it puts on the Chicago Tribune yeah. because they're now the only, well, I guess Block Club also and has cranes. a paywall. Right, and Cranes. Okay, so we still have a few who have paywalls. Yeah. But now that you can get a really good content for free, it's going to put pressure on some of these others. It'll be interesting to see how they respond. Dale Shytown, who's watching us right now on YouTube, says, I subscribe to the Sun-Times and I get the e-paper every day and the print edition four days a week. Love it. Thank you. Thank you, Dale. Um, On the heels of the Sun-Times announcement, we also learned that Alden Capital, that's the second largest newspaper publisher in the country, and they're the owner of the Trib, will no longer allow its newspaper to make endorsements for president, governor, or Senate races. Quickly, everyone's thoughts on this, because we were kind of blown away this morning in our, our meeting. Weird. So they're going to do this, I guess, after this upcoming yeah. election? Yes, because we're, we're already too knee-deep yeah. in this season. Right. So they have the option to do it. We're, we're now the Sun-Times, a nonprofit, and that's the reason we we don't. It is... I. Uh, actually, given Alden and everything, it sounds to me more that like it is they put some highfalutin language in that seems to me just to mask that they don't feel like doing the work to do endorsements. It's, mm. It sounds to me like they're in this super divided uh, country that you have a lot to lose by coming down for, let's say, a Trump versus a, yeah. a Biden. And it's like, why bother? Well, Were you shocked? Thing, you worked at the Tribune for years. Of, of course. It, but to Lynn's point, it takes so much work to do those endorsements, and it probably is an economy measure as much as anything else. And when you think about how important the Sun-Times endorsement was of Lori Lightfoot in the last mayoral election in 2019, but for that endorsement, she probably would not have made the runoff. She probably would not be the mayor today. And so the civic discussion is going to lose a very important voice. Mm. Um uh, so no newspaper really, will make these cranes, endorsements anymore. Cranes will be the only one left making mm, endorsements right. in this in this market. And uh, newspaper endorsements. Some people have said they've sort of they no longer have influence. But we saw in the in the Lightfoot case, they really do. So yeah. it, they it, make. Yeah. Forgive me. I didn't mean to. Interrupt. Go for it, Lynn. Their endorsements matter in races that people don't already have a lot of high information on. So I think in the uh, when you vote for president, maybe. If, if somebody doesn't have enough information by the time you go to vote, yeah. wow, you have not been awake. <laughs> not been paying attention. Uh, even in our, in, even in the governor's race. But let's go lower down the ticket. Who is focusing sure. on the treasurer's race, controller's race, yeah, or even on some of our? Are, will they yeah. be abstaining that low, yeah. or is it just higher ones? No, it's all. And oh. actually, you know, it takes more work to yeah. do the lower races because there's an abundance of information out there about Bailey and. Uh, Pritzker, if 
but you try and yeah yeah I remember so we're racist. You have people running who it's not even clear what they do for them, and then they won't fill yeah. out the forms. I remember yeah. my old friend Cornelia Grumman when she was on I the editorial board, and she was like, "Oh my gosh, I've got ten million interviews with all these candidates today, and I got to sort through what's fact and fiction." Mm-hmm. That is a lot of work for all those lower. And down I did that. I used to help the editorial board of the Sun Times years ago, and mm-hmm. I talked to everybody. I checked out everything. I was consumed day and night with it, but. And this is one thing if we had could be useful to our listeners here. Uh, when you look at the candidates' websites and you look at the biographies, look at what's not there. Right. Okay. That's a a lot point. of times people don't even make it clear what they do for a living. Somebody is a committed uh, neighborhood volunteer. When somebody doesn't put down basics about themselves, yeah. then just realize that and do a little more digging or or find out. Yeah. But now uh, it's up to the readers to do yes. that on their own, whereas, as right. you all pointed out, that was a huge amount of work. It didn't yes. look like it. it was a two two or three paragraphs about a local race, but every one of those people had to be interviewed knowledgeably mm-hmm. by a journalist. And the numbers in the editorial room, say, of the Chicago Tribune, which is yes. owned by Alden, they're down by – they're probably less than a third of the size that they were pre-Alden. And so there just aren't enough bodies. So I'm I'm getting clarification here. It is uh, our understanding is that they are only passing on endorsements for the the higher races, president, governor, Senate. And so and so so I I stand by my accusation that (laughs) you have a lot of people you're going to alienate if you come down on one side on some of those bigger ones. And they're like, why do we need to lose readers? Mayor Lightfoot unveiled her nearly 16 and a half billion dollar budget for next year. Let's hear a little bit more on what she had to say on Monday. But as you know. Budgets are not just math problems. They are and must be value statements. Value statements about how and why we invest, and importantly in this city, where we invest. What were the main takeaways of her budget speech, David? Well, I think the mayor made a good point there, because you can just, like, drown in all the numbers in a budget. And so really the best way to think about them is to understand what does this say about this mayor and what she is trying to accomplish. And in this case, she made room for a $242 million payment toward pensions that was not required of the city. Mm-hmm. That's a strong statement there, and it's an important one. Uh, she also noted that she's got $1.9 billion in COVID relief, which is just great for all of us. But it also raises questions about, okay, next year if those COVID monies dries up, what does the city look like and what sort of answers does the mayor and those who will be running against her have for the future of the city's economics? A really notable one, probably the most interesting, is that she decided not to go ahead with a property tax increase. Mm-hmm. Last year, the mayor made a big deal out of saying, you know what, we need to tie property tax increases to inflation because otherwise it's such a political issue. Um, inflation's pretty steady these days, around 2 3%, so it'll be everything be good. Well, inflation's now up around 8%. Her, pro- her uh, increase was capped at 5%. That would have led to an $85 million increase in property taxes mm-hmm. as she heads into an election next year. We already knew that it was going to be reduced to $43 million. And in, in her speech, she said, hey, you know what? Never mind on the property tax increase. <laughs> I want to be reelected never for mind. mayor. I don't think she said the I want to be reelected for mayor part, but she did say never mind. But, Lynn, does it seem pretty clear that this is an election year budget? Yes. And the, the I want to amplify what David said is the point. And also, again, so our listeners know, this is just – now, I got my first beat covering Cook County government and property taxes, so will you all bear with me one moment here? What we're talking about was a levy. 
which was just the request for property taxes. It doesn't mean that everybody would pay that much more because it depends what the tax base is after put on a seatbelt, something called equalization. So we're not, with my point being, even if it had been in there, it would not have meant necessarily that pro- residential property owners would have paid that much more mm-hmm. because it depends on what our whole tax base is in Chicago. It also depends when people look at their whole bill, by the way, the whole bill, what the other taxing units are asking in their levy. So it's so all this to say, when you talk about putting in a levy and then you take it out and you're a few months before an election, I think I'm safe in joining a group analysis perhaps. <laughs> yes, that's a political move. <laughs> All in favor, say aye. <laughs> well, what, one interesting addition to next year's budget is uh, $5 million to help pay for the cost of migrants who are arriving here ah, in Chicago. Yes. Do we think most voters will, will be okay with that? seems like a pretty small amount um, for a sanctuary city. $5 million, yeah. Yeah, it, it is, it's a tiny amount, but it's also a bit of a statement also about uh, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, Governor Pritzker, governors and mayors and other liberal um, enclaves are pushing back against Governor Greg Abbott of Texas and uh, Governor Rick DeSantis of Florida, who's trying to jump on, even though he doesn't yeah. real, really have an immigration well, concern. He brings them to his, his state, then he yeah, flies them Yeah, out. exactly. So uh, this yeah. is just a, it's a political issue, and it's a way to make a point. Is it a budget that most older persons are going to be okay approving? I think the elimination of the property tax is going to help her a lot. Yeah. Uh, we had already seen Brendan Riley of the 42nd Ward complain about this automatic property tax increase. He tried to get a, an ordinance passed a few weeks ago. It didn't go anywhere, but he had made his point. And this, uh, it, it's, it's pretty certain this prop, this budget will pass pretty much intact. Yeah. Well, Monica, while the budget address was going on, there were protests from housing and homelessness activists who set up a tent city in City Hall. What did they want? Well, they want to see the mayor put um, a uh, real estate transfer tax on all properties over a million dollars, 1.9%. They said that they could raise about $160 million for subsidized housing, more mental health facilities, uh, more homelessness prevention. Uh, The mayor, I believe, has about $10 million that she's devoted to that, so $160 versus $10. Um, and, yeah. and they believe she just doesn't – she hasn't done enough. And they, they pointed out that the recent census studies really undercounted in their eyes the, the homeless, homeless, unhoused population of Chicago because they didn't count people who were doubled up, for instance. Yeah, they and were. this is the sort of issue that could really bite her if, say, Chewy Garcia does enter the race and run against her. Given his progressive credentials, she was perceived as a pro- progressive when she was elected in 2019. Mm-hmm. The progressives have been, among others – among the most disappointed in her track record to this point. And that, the, the issue that Monica just talked about is definitely a litmus test issue Well, Lynn, what do you think? Will we see Chewy Garcia enter the race? When I talked to him about it, he said he will decide by mid-October. Mm. We're getting there. We're getting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and again, my, once they, we're, in a re- watch. <laughs> we're in a real hectic political environment where people are passing petitions for the February municipal elections at the same time that which are nonpartisan, and it's just uh, if no one gets 50% plus one, then it's a runoff. Uh, so the, among the things Garcia has going for him is he doesn't have to, because it's a, a, an odd-year election, he will not lose his congressional seat. Oh. So he doesn't 
lose anything. Yeah. The aldermen, the alder people who are running are giving up seats to, to do that. Uh, if anyone else who is a state rep who has a two-year term, yeah. they are giving up something. He also starts with a lot of with, with a robust campaign uh, war chest and a nationwide network of fundraising. What he does not have by waiting is this Chicago Teachers Union has already come out with an endorsement. Oh, yeah. And that would be the CTU is a powerful political organization. And for them not to wait when it's still, in my analysis, is pretty early, spoke volumes. And I don't know how this will influence Garcia, but it certainly isn't the clear path he might want if he runs, but not enough to have him not do it Mm -hmm. if that's what's in his heart. David, yesterday, Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle released her budget for next year. Are Chicagoans going to be happy? Well, it's an $8.7 billion budget. Tony Preckwinkle has a pretty good track record of running a fairly economic, um, uh, economically sound uh, county. Um, In in her budget, there's $270 million of, of COVID funds, Again, raising the question about um, uh, <clears throat> what happens going forward. Um, there's nothing in there that looks like it'll be a litmus test issue. Um, uh, she, her pensions are much better funded than uh, the Chicago uh, pension funds, and that's something that she made a point yeah. to uh, boast about, that um, she's made significant progress. And there's no tax or funding. fee increases right, here, it seems, right. right? Not even a soda tax increase. I guess she learned her lesson Interesting. on that one. <laughs> uh, well, $42 million out of that budget was set aside for the Guaranteed Income Pilot Program. I'm looking at you, Monica. The, the county started accepting applications yesterday, from what I know. Who's eligible, though? Well, you have to be um, uh, about 250% of the poverty level. Everybody knows that number, right? Um, yeah. So to translate that, a uh, household of one would be $33,900 a year. Household of four, you could make up to $69,300 a year. Mm-hmm. And then you'd be eligible for this $500 a month. Um, this money is, again, coming from COVID funds, from the ARPA Act. So how long that's going to last is... is uh, and it's $500 there. a month for two years. Right. Is that right? Yeah. Preckwinkle said that the the program is, quote, the largest publicly funded guaranteed income initiative in American history. Are you expecting it to get national attention, Lynn? Yes. There are certain stories that do start here, let's say, in Evanston that started with reparations. I mean, there is a theme here of trying to uh, addressing equity issues, and this is one of them. So, yes, it will be a national story. In how in, in, in the various uh, chapters as it goes along, which the main question here is: Will it make a difference? Will it have any permanent change? And what will people do when they have to be weaned off it? Because the, you know the COVID funds that we have coming might be a once in a generation boom, uh, city budget, state budgets, but it's not replenishable. Yeah. So these are all yes, I'm sure. <laughs> Not only will we as journalists be studying this, but if we were starting out in school now, this would be what we would do our uh, sociology papers on or do our doctorate research <laughs> on and following these families because that that's just the question. What's it going to do? Now, I understand when you give the $500 to somebody who is at income levels below what you talk about. 
and it's going to be harder, perhaps, to study at somebody with the higher income level in terms of what is the difference. Do you move? Do you get yourself a two-year lease that you can't renew because you don't have the 500 bucks? And then what do you do? So all these are questions as I think we as a, as a community are looking for permanent answers yeah. to some of these long-running issues. Over to you again, Monica. 25th Ward Alderman Byron Sigcho Lopez joined activists at a press conference this week. Uh, they were accusing the city of environmental racism. What are the details? This all goes back to that, uh, that leaked HUD letter uh, that, that said that the Lightfoot administration and the zoning laws are uh, discriminatory and that uh, the city risks losing millions in funding if it doesn't reform those. Uh, these activists said, hey, you know, what happened? Did you reform them? The Lightfoot administration says they're, they're confident they would win this in court. Lightfoot has called the charges absurd. So it sounds like they're trying to, like, you know, bring up the subject again and mm-hmm. get it moving and say, really, you're, you're willing to risk these millions um, for all sorts of important uh, uh, projects because you, you just want to pretend that this is yeah. not true? Do you think, David, that they, the city could be at real risk of losing millions in federal funding over this? I think given the track record, possibly, uh, they did decide not to move forward with uh, certification for the uh, general iron shredder on the south side, which yeah. is, I think, an indication possibly of moving toward getting this resolved. The money at issue that Monica's referencing is really significant, $375 million in 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a lot of, you know, even on a bit budget that we're talking about, that's a significant amount of money. And I think also just going back to the mayor's, um, standing with the people who put her in office, uh, a lot of these people are former Lightfoot voters on the South Side who yeah. have valid, valid concerns about this environmental, what some people call re- environmental racism. It's certainly inequitable. I don't know if it's racist or not, but it certainly is inequitable the way that the burden of environmental degradation it falls on people in poorer communities. Before we wrap this portion of the, the news recap, New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman's new book about Donald Trump. It included a few interesting stories that were involving Illinois politicians. Can you give us the quick scoop there? As I, I see you flipping your pages. Yeah. <laughs> so I looked at Maggie's book. Maggie, by the way, will be in Chicago on her book tour later in October, and I'll have an ap- opportunity to be talking to her. And uh, one of the things that I, I looked at when I looked for the local angles is how Rod Bogloyevich we all know he, he, he was, his 14-year sentence was commuted. Mm-hmm. But what we didn't know is that one key advisor to President Trump said you should make that a second-term item, which, if Trump had listened to his advisor, would mean that Boglorovich still would have been there. The other thing I thought was telling is how, uh, you know, uh, Maggie's book is really more a biography in the sense of a man she knows well and has covered in her experience as a New York street reporter, and he is a New York uh, real estate developer. And she tells this tale that he was uh, trying to do a deal for a casino outside of Gary. And we live here, and we know Gary's close, but it's not adjacent to Chicago. Right. So we make a distinction. So... Uh, And if you live in the south suburbs, going to Gary isn't far, but it's not adjacent. You can't say it. So he wanted to have his people make a map that showed the site as being adjacent to Chicago. And he said, well, no one outside of Chicago will know the difference. 
And Did he use a Sharpie when he reached through these borders? <laughs> so, yeah. and actually what David's referring to is a famous episode in the Trump presidency where he used a Sharpie to revise oh, I remember that. a <laughs> hurricane map where to, to uh, correct the map so it goes with some misstatement he made. Now, there were uh, other things in there that yeah. we consider local because it has to do with Barack Obama. And it just talks about the whole rise of birtherism and also how the mainstream media, which was so enamored with Trump, just let it go and yeah. gave him attention on it. And there were some things that I just – that weren't local but were kind of you know a look if you – want to know that inside his bathroom in the White House, he put in Trump Hotel toiletries. Oh, boy. All right, Monica, the owner of the Chicago Red Stars women's soccer team is stepping away after a scathing report. Tell us what the report said. It looked into allegations of um, abusive behavior and sexual misconduct in women's professional soccer. And uh, Chicago was was one of the highlights of the report. Um, it was done by Sally Q. Yates, who did the um, independent investigation. And so, yeah, um, Whistler, is it Whistler, Weisler, Arnim? Arnim Whistler. Whistler. Yeah. Um, Who, yeah, owner and chairman of the board said he's going to step down. Wow. Yeah, it it comes after Sally Yates' independent investigation into allegations of past abusive behavior, sexual misconduct. I think the most surprising for me here with this story was just how many uh, years, decades this had gone on, how many teams these different coaches had been able to move to over the years and Nothing happened just because of, you know, players feeling like they had to be silent all this time. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a real groundbreaker. But, very yeah, sad. I mean, you have to, like, wonder why weren't these allegations taken more seriously before? Why did it take so long and for this report to come out? Yeah. In other news, uh, news came this week of another uh, a company packing its bags. Tyson Foods moving 500 corporate jobs from Chicago and Downers Grove to Arkansas. What reason did they give for leaving? Well, they're consolidating operations at their corporate headquarters. Chicago is not the only city that will be losing employees, but it falls into the context of we've seen Citadel, Boeing, Caterpillar, uh, also um, uh, decamp from Chicago. And all we all have to keep in mind what the, the chairman of um, McDonald's, Chris Kinsiski, said uh, at an economic club uh, speech a, a few days ago, that Chicago is a city in crisis. And he expanded it beyond what we think of these things a lot of times as just corporate jobs. He talked about McDonald's and all of its stores and the sense of a lack of safety in its stores across the city. Mm. And many of these, uh, Ken Griffin at Citadel, when Citadel pulled out, talked a lot about a sense of a lack of safety. The Kansasi comments were really powerful because of that, the way he talked about how it's reaching throughout the city. Yeah. And so there is a problem. Chicago has a reputational problem. There recently was good news with Google doubling down on its investment in Chicago, but that's overwhelmed by these number of high-profile Well, you mentioned Citadel, Boeing, Caterpillar. They've all announced that they're moving. How concerned should we be at this point? How much of this is just normal corporate changes or – are we looking at a worrisome trend for this city? Well, you know, I was a business journalist for many, many years. This is not normal, and it also is not normal when you have people like Ken Griffin saying we're leaving in part because we we don't like the city, the city and state's finances, but my employees don't feel safe, and I don't. I'm having a hard time recruiting. Yeah, uh, and so, and when you see a trend like this. It's not just one-offs. The mayor says, well, wait a minute. We've 173 companies have either moved to Chicago or expanded operations here. 
She has a point, but when you see these marquee names go, you can't ignore it and shouldn't ignore it. Well, Tyson Foods may not think so, but lots of other people think that Chicago is number one. Like <laughs> Condé Traveler. Yes. We've been named the best big city in the U.S. This is for the sixth year in a row. Any idea how this ranking is actually determined, though, Lynn? No, but uh, let's take the good news when we get it's, it. It's after... readers. Readers vote on it. I reported on this last year. Okay. I remember waking up at 6 a.m. for the big announcement. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, wow. I'll write the story. Like, That's um, the kind of dedication we know. Yeah, 6 a.m. Yeah. Traveler, <laughs> the readers like us. And, you know, I don't always want to sound like, you know, I'm a big cheerleader for Chicago. But I love it. And, okay, so these so is Tyson saying, oh, Downers Grove? These guys are leaving Downers Grove for Arkansas because Downers is so dangerous and they hate it so much? Um not so much. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. Travelers like us, and uh, you know, it, and that you bring a, and I'm glad we're pairing these stories together because it shows uh, there's not one headline when it comes to uh, Chicago. I know that when uh, the uh, Tyson's made the announcement, national outlets all said another company moving for Chicago. What's up? And that's true, but the but. Whatever comes to a corporate decision, especially if you're not in the city and you're in Downers Grove, for heaven's sakes, is not the same decisions you make to come to a city on the lake that is a tourist mecca in the world where you get the big city benefits of a city on a beach that's walkable and unlike New York does not put its garbage on its street. Yeah, I jumped in the lake. I was on Belmont Rocks swimming and sunning two days ago. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to vacation. And but yeah, we can't uh, look look aside from some of the issues that we face. Yeah, uh, and not just uh, in any single neighborhood in Chicago. It's really spread across the city at this point, and so. We're all aware of that. Uh, it doesn't discount the fact, yes, it's a spectacular place. It's one of the great cities in the world. There's no yeah. doubt. But let's be realistic about the problems. We're well, our too. friend Dale Shytown on YouTube says, <laughs> I feel bad for those Tyson employees that have to move from Chicago to Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Dale agrees with you all. <laughs> Dale has a <laughs> very good say. point. There's not a city in Arkansas that compares to Chicago, even with all the problems we have. All right. Well, if anyone's looking for another reason to sing the praises of this great city, we're about to kick off a citywide karaoke contest. What is this all about, Monica? It's called Chicago Sings Karaoke Contest. And where do I sign up? Um, <laughs> well, just go to the city's website. Uh, they're, they're starting the competitions at bars. It's for 21, 21 years and older uh, on Sunday, and there'll be like, consecutive days, and you just uh, you have to go out there with your best song. Today in our Axios Chicago newsletter, Justin, who uh, Justin Kaufman, my co-writer, who considers himself a, a karaoke expert, uh, gives you all your tips. I'll challenge him. He He's, is. There's uh, no doubt. Yeah. He says, so, Sasha, what's your walk-up song? <laughs> uh, um, it's probably I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. It's oh, a big wow. one. Well, that's what Justin wow. said. He says, do not try Whitney. He said, even if you think. <laughs> he hasn't heard my Whitney. <laughs> he is an expert. <laughs> that's how yes. Justin to call me. He said, In the moments we have left, Sasha, can you give us a sample? Absolutely not. Okay. I love these listeners too much. Yeah. But I mean, I think, I think it'll be yeah. fun. In the city, it seemed like they kind of just pulled it out of their hat. And really what did they win? Five. Thousand dollars. Wow. Ooh. You're gonna be what singing about along. You guys? Yeah. Jane, Are you singing? Lynn? Lynn? What I'm Patsy Klein crazy, always. <laughs> my I will um well my walk up song is, doesn't really it will be Sweet Home Chicago. 
That's <laughs> right. What, what, what I'll say is it was odd last night that Governor Pritzker had no idea, and during oh, the debate was point. asked, what's your walk-up song? And Governor Pritzker had no idea what his walk-up song oh, So walk-up be. song meaning when you go up to bat or when you yeah. go up to sing karaoke? <laughs> well, for me, Either it'll be one. both. Good question. That is yeah. my, I'll I was take in, it for both. I was interviewing Rick Bayless last night in Beverly Kim, and she says she always does like um, – uh, like a Prayer by Madonna. She's a chef. And Rick Bayless says he he would do Like a Virgin. Uh-huh. <laughs> we were all naming our, our karaoke song. Your favorite Madonna. Well, welcome. Yes. Yeah. In the seconds we have left, one final story here. Some more good news that we got this week, Monica, from the Paws Animal Shelter. Tell us what their staff was up to. Well, uh, they went down to Florida and they got more than 50 pups uh, who were in shelters. They weren't, you know, in homes that had been damaged, but the shelters, some of them lost their roofs. And so Mm. actually it's a pretty normal thing to bring especially large dogs from the south to the north and then do vice versa. Uh, They like that's sorry, small dogs from the south. They like big dogs in the south. Mm -hmm. They like small dogs in the north. And um but this was particularly connected to Hurricane Ian. Wow, yeah, they drove, drove to the Gulf Coast and they picked up more than 50 cats and dogs from local shelters. That's really sweet. Yeah, and awesome. Paws being a no-kill, they say they're going to find a forever home for all of them. Yeah, I think they will. Monica Ng of Axios, Lynn Sweet of the Chicago Sun-Times, and David Grising of the Better Government Association. Thank you all. Have a great weekend. Thank you, you too. too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.